Welcome to Rooted Within with Lily and Dan, a podcast that shines a spotlight on positive change makers, sharing their stories of legacy, inspiration, and impact. Each episode, Lily and Dan will speak to individuals who have made their dreams a reality, exploring their journeys, mindset shifts, and what motivated them. Join us as we explore the lives of those who are making a difference and let their stories inspire you to achieve your own goals. Dad recently told me after I spoke out on racism and stuff that was, you know, mom and dad had decided one night that we were going back because, you know, they were finding it difficult. And next morning, letter came through the post uh, that I'd been selected for Yorkshire under 12s. Cricket is a very interesting sport, whereas a very it's played in a team environment, but it's a very individual sport. Mm. And a lot of people sort of look the other way or put a blind eye to it and try and carry on. You know, a lot has happened over the last three years, which we, as we sort of go the chronology in terms of, and I feel for people on the other side. Mm. I really do, because I don't want anyone to get into the space that I've got into. And I'm, I don't doubt that, that some of them have not, you know, have pushed it themselves, yeah. but it's still, the blame, if you want to blame someone or there's a responsibility, lies so. Rooted Within with Lily and Dan. Good afternoon, Lily. I'm, I'm getting in there first. I don't, I don't know what to do with it when you do when that. When I okay. start, when I start. Good afternoon, Dan. Good afternoon, how are you? I'm good, you're looking good today. Thank you, I just got straight from the gym. I've been schmoozing this morning at the gym. So yeah, I'll put a shirt on for once. My mum will be proud. <laughs> She'll be very Scrubbing proud. Scrubbing up well. Listen, I am really excited. I am, but I have to make an apology first. What are you going to do? Because JJ, our producer, yep. was outside and was very starstruck by our next guest. And um, I'm not a big fan of cricket. Or, oh God, so uh, I, I would know nothing as, as an about Aussie, cricket. I'm shocking. I'm absolutely shocking. So I think that's a good, great good intro segue into throwing over <laughs> to our guest, which is the legend Azim Rafiq. How are you? I'm good, thanks yourself. Yeah, very good. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's good to be here, and also a fellow northerner. Yeah, not far, yeah we, were just, we were just talking, you're from Barnsley, which is not far from where I'm from, Rochdale. Yeah, not far, the northern belt, Yorkshire, Lancashire, Indeed. across the Pennines. You've completely lost me. Like, Lily's just like, okay, where, <laughs> who, Australia? what? <laughs> I'm surprised you don't cricket Australia. Oh, shocking. I'm not into cricket and I'm not into AFL. It's really bad. I'm a bad uh, Australian. You're, you're a bad sports person, but, sports fan. But there's always the Boxing Day match that everyone knows and everyone goes down there and everyone's totally... The Ashes is starting in a week's time. I totally knew I that. that no, you did like, you know that? Of course I did. <laughs> of course you did. Of course yeah. I, actually, I think on that note, so we don't get caught out being frauds, I think it's a good opportunity to hand over to Azim and give us a little bit of an intro about yourself. Who and are who, you? How, yeah, for, I mean, many people will probably know we didn't, but over to you. Yeah, look, last uh, few years and what I guess a lot of people know me as someone who uh, spoke out uh, institutional racism at Yorkshire County Cricket Club which escalated into, um, you know, international story. But, you know, I, I moved from Pakistan to the UK in 2001, uh, played professional cricket for Yorkshire. Did you always play cricket as a kid? Was it something that you Which, absolutely loved? Like, how did it how well, did I'm not going to say, start? isn't it like a national sport within Pakistan or um, South Asia? It's huge. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, it's national sports, hockey, but okay. cricket's the living blood of everything. Yeah. You know, I grew up uh, on the streets of Karachi, um, you know, really hot, just like it is here now. Soon as the sun goes down, just played cricket all day, every day. Mum used to run around trying to get me to do my homework or read the Quran, but you know it was always cricket for me. Don't you know? I just loved it. Um, and then you know when I moved over to the UK, joined the cricket club, 
and you know, I went from there, progressed through like, the ranks. Were you like naturally talented? Was it like, you, you know, this guy is great, this kid's great, we've got to grab onto him? Or was it something that evolved? Um, you know, it's, I, from a very young age, was involved, uh, you know, with Yorkshire Age Group. Uh, I captained England under 15s uh, and then captained England under 19s at the World Cup. So, and signed uh, my first professional contract at 17. So, at seven- yeah, that's yeah. insane. Cricket but, went but well. Don't, don't you love that? How he just so nonchalant says, you know, captain under 15, da, 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 19, signed on at 17. This is big. Like no. as, a, as a 17 year old, how did that feel? I think, you, you know, you don't actually realize it because you're still young, you're naive to the world. You mm. just, you know, I was just playing cricket because I love cricket. Mm. Uh, you know, every chance there was to play a match, it was another day of cricket. So mm. it's, you know, when you're young, you don't see the professional, you, you know, all that stuff. You just want to play the passion. The yeah, the love. And, you know, I, I was brought up, you know, uh, with, you know, cricket as my love, uh, my passion and everything. So you didn't really see it as a job till you get older and then you realize what you're doing uh, and then you get made to realize that you're a professional and then all the difficulties start coming in. When What was that timing like? So 17, it still felt like a passion and you're getting to not have to do homework and get to play all day, every day. When did it stop being that and started becoming, this is your job? I mean, look, I, I signed my contract then. So, you know, it was a job then, but all I, you know, all I tried to concentrate on was trying to be the best in the world. And I just wanted to play cricket for England. And, you know, I guess you just live in that bubble a little bit. Now that I'm outside the bubble, I see it a bit more like you live in a bubble and don't really realize actually, you know, what you're achieving is quite, um, you know, quite good. Uh, and also, you know, how lucky you are to be able to, you know, call your passion, your love, uh, and, you know, being able to represent Yorkshire County Cricket Club, which is huge, and then, you know, get the chance to put on the three Lions, uh, regardless of what age group or what level, um, you know, it's an incredible honour. When when you did get to put on that jersey, do you remember that day? Do you remember that feeling? Yeah, yeah. You know, I remember uh, England under 15, we had, we had like a regional competition. Uh, I was rep- representing the South, and then, you know, at the end of the week, there was like a awards dinner and then the England under 15 team was named out and you know I got announced as captain and it was just surreal you know it was just surreal and then as 15 year olds we got we had like a two-week tour type thing against um, Barbados under 16s and Scotland under 17s where we all sort of you know lived together Uh, and you know as a 15 year old getting away from parents and you know living together it was just great fun and I mean the one Brilliant thing is as well now seeing the lads that I shared that dressing room with mm. have gone on to achieve their dreams, you know, win World Cups, win Ashes Series, Captain England, which is just, I'm just chuffed a bit. So I was going to say, like, these guys that you were hanging around with at the age of, like, 15 onwards, like, they're now seniors within established teams, like you said, and, and playing in tournaments all over the world and winning. That must be insane. To see yeah, them. look, I'm chuffed to bits for them. Yeah. You know, it's it's great to see, um, uh, you know, lads that you've shared a dressing room with, been lucky enough to captain, yeah. go on and achieve, you know, achieve so much, you know, and, you know, live their dreams. Uh, and, you know, it gives me goosebumps every time I talk about, you know, what they've been wow. able to. And so many of them have, you know, um, Ben Stokes, Joe Root, Josh Butler. These guys have all gone on and achieved so much. And, it, yeah, every time I watch them on TV and follow them, I think it's just such a warmth and such a great feeling. And how was the, the family towards your, your career? I mean, at such a young age and then going into the world of cricket and becoming a professional sportsman, were they supportive? You know, how, how did that play out from an early age? 
Yeah, very supportive. Yeah. You know, actually, uh, there's a bit of a story behind it. So we we moved to the UK because my dad's business partner got kidnapped and burnt. Whoa, 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 whoa. See, this is like this is where guests just say things. You're just kidnapped like, okay, and burnt. What? Yeah, yeah. It was you know it was around the time that um, things were getting a bit unsafe in, around Karachi in Pakistan. Yeah, and that was the reason why you know dad was very successful in real estate and properties, and so yeah, we picked up. And, you know, we went to Saudi Saudi Arabia pilgrimage and then went to UK because dad's brothers were there. We were actually going to move on to Canada okay. or America, but, you know, we ended up staying there. And so he, he literally took the entire family out of safety, really, to, yeah. to remove you from that threat. Yeah. So, and then, you know, the first few years in the UK was really tough. Yeah. You know, he How found, old were you? I was uh, 10, 2001. And is that when you, did you go straight to Barnsley at that time? We were or? initially in London for a few months, okay. and then we yeah when we went to Barnsley. Don't ask me why. Um, but, I mean, we were talking kind of like off air. It's like there's a massive Pakistani and Asian population in the, like that kind of north northern area in the region. Yeah, but yeah. not Barnsley. You know, Barnsley okay. is predominantly predominantly white. Okay. You know, at the time there. You know, re- only recently before that there'd been a mosque and uh, that'd been burned. I never knew that. And then you know, how so we, was that for you? Because that's a massive culture shock. Yeah, huge. Yeah, I remember it. You know, I actually remember it clearly, and it was it was tough. Yeah. It was, you know, because you we've gone from, and you know, in Pakistan we were in very good position. You know, I'd say privileged uh, mm. upbringing up to that stage, and then to go from that to completely the other end, where you know things were difficult. School and but cr- so did cricket. You, did you guys have to sort of leave with? Was it a case of you basically left with the clothes on your back and couldn't get? I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say to that extent. But you know, uh, had to just you know let, put, every- let everything leave everything and just go type thing. And it was interesting when we sort of got there and cricket initially joining the local cricket club and that was next to the school was actually a really good way to get into uh, you know normal life because um, there must have been some familiarity with playing cricket because obviously it was something you were passionate about so it was something for you to, to ease your way into that community I guess well it was something that I felt most comfortable yeah. you know at, at ease, a time when you weren't at, comfortable yeah at ease with myself and but you know dad recently told me after I spoke out on racism and stuff that was you know mom and dad had decided one night that we were going back because you know they were finding it difficult and next morning letter came through the post uh, that I'd been selected for Yorkshire under 12s. So, you know, they just, that, they just said, you know what, we've just got to stay. So, if, you know, for my cricket, they sacrificed, you know, dad's, mom and dad sacrificed their whole life and no, their siblings. Knowing that, how does it make you feel? You know, when he told me that and obviously he told me when I'd spoke out on everything I've gone through and everything I've spoken about, you know, it's, I mean, incredible in one way, I, you know, as, you know, he sacrificed his whole life. But at the same time, I feel absolutely gutted and just, you know, with how cricket and what, where it's ended up uh, in my life and the role it's played in the, you know, where, where it's brought me uh, on a human level, um, you know, I just feel absolutely gutted really mm. because, you know, they, they thought I was living my dream, uh, you know, but every day that was going there, I was hating every second of it. And, you know, to hear how much he put on the line for it and everyone else and not to be a, you know, have to have ended up in a situation where, you know, it's driven me close to taking my own life. Um, you know, that that's that hurts. Do you, do you carry guilt with that? Absolutely. Yeah, I think I, it's, it's, you know, it's something I can, I can't ever bring back. And, you know, whether mom and dad would have been able to share with us, you know, there's, there's days now and, you know, the mental scars that I carry with myself, I... You know, I wish he'd have told us and we'd have gone back. But you really know he don't. wouldn't he would never have done it any different though. Like he would never, ever 
want you to feel guilty for that. Absolutely not. The, the night of the select committee where I spoke out, uh, my dad said to me, no runs or wickets could have ever done or World Cups or Ashes series could have done what you've done today. So, you know, that, you know, that, that, Huge. that's something that's, um, that I can take with me, but you know, we're humans and, you know, naturally we feel, you know, we feel guilt, uh, and you know, that, that, and you know, around the loss of my son and the impact cricket had on them too. And what was happening at my workplace? So we've, we've got to rewind. I was, yeah, I was going to say. I wanna, we've I wanna, got to rewind and, we, and position this. With so John. there's so much that came right, out of that. So that, we go back. We yeah. go back. You got into cricket. You're the captain. Things are going great at then that what, point. Then, yeah, I think you know even even around then. So you know, captain under 19. So you know, I joined a Yorkshire dressing room full of senior stars, people I've watched on TV, people who are my heroes. And, you know, very early on, as I look back now, you know, there was a lot of racist comments, you know, overt racism. Uh, and, you know, no one really stopped it. Could you share some of those comments? Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, I've shared it so many, you know, and, you know, being called the P word regularly, you know, as Asians, we were told to go sit, you know, like pointed towards the toilet, go sit there. You know, it, there was a lot of comments to others as well, like elephant washers. You know, so there was a constant, you know, if I was in socializing nights out and talking to someone, uh, you know, my teammates would come over and say, don't talk to him. He's a P word. I remember an instance here. We were on preseason in Dubai in Barasti uh, and, you know, a teammate come over and goes, don't talk to him. He's not a shake. He's got no oil. So there was all of this. Then you had, you know, we'd be traveling through London and they'd be like, oh, is that your uncle's corner shop? If there's a bearded man, is that your dad? And, you know, you had all of this stuff. But you oh, had it. Just saying it is making me feel sick. Yeah. So, but you had it. You had it. You know, you go, as a young player going into that dressing room. You know, all you cared about is playing cricket for England. Yeah. You know, you're not. You're a little bit, and you want to sort of. You know, if these are things that you don't. You know, you get brought up. You've got to be two times better. Make sure you. You know, you can't do anything. Don't say anything. Just carry on with. You know, carry on with your cricket. And you know, for a very long time, I looked the other way. And also for a person of color to start actually believing that they've been treated differently because of their race or their religion, it's so draining. Yeah. It's so tough to accept it because you start looking at things with that lens and it eats away at you in a manner that inside that nothing else can. So, you know, I went into the dress room and that was the norm. And I also went into the dress room as religious, you know, uh, values driven. But what happened, I felt like, and I saw other people from the same background as me starting to fit in, going out, socializing, drinking. And through the two, three years, I think subconsciously, I started doing the same and started trying to fit in. And that, that was really difficult because even while I was doing that, I was still feeling the same things and being treated. So you started a, drinking? Yeah, I started drinking. As a religious person, you Which is against drinking. all of your values Which and is morals. against everything. That would yeah. have been a really hard decision to make. Yeah, and you know what happened is initially I got a lot of opportunities you know, so when I captained the club, it was around the time that I was fitting in, you know. And um, so I was, it was like, oh, this is brilliant, you know. Um, and like I said, the one thing that I have regret over is that I was prepared to do anything and run through any brick wall to, to be the best in the world, to play cricket for England. And clearly, through that time, I, I wasn't strong enough to stick to my values. Yourself. And I lost myself. But, you know, end of that year, I sort of... So the last game of the season in 2012, I got eight wickets in the game, 15 both innings, got Yorkshire promoted, got picked for England Lions, went to the Champions League, like my career was like that. And I remember the night out we had, uh, you know, celebrating that. 
on the way back and I cried my eyes out to my teammate. And I, something wasn't right. But at that time, I couldn't put my finger on what it was. But you, you, you cried in front of your teammates. I cried to one of the senior players, like literally how, cried my eyes out. And how did they react to yeah. that? Yeah, nothing. Just nothing uh, back. Nothing, yeah. I mean, I think, look, some of them were aware, but I think a lot of, and this is what, as I look back now, is cricket is a very interesting sport, whereas a very, it's played in a team environment, but it's a very individual sport. Mm. And a lot of people sort of look the other way or put a blind eye to it and try and carry on because... I get many were responsible for this. Yeah. You know, they, they were part of that conversation or not even conversation, they were part of that abuse that was being held in. Interesting well, well, by, by saying nothing, you're enabling, you're guilty as well. But my question for you, where do you think that need for, for your teammates to be that racist came from? I actually, I think it was so embedded in that culture. Yeah. It is. So embedded, it's so institutionalized that a lot of these people don't even realize that they're doing anything wrong. And a lot of the lads... They think they're being funny. Yeah. It's, look, it's... it's really? Look, a lot of it Fisher was... Banter yeah. is what they put it down to. Look, my, my book that's going to come out, the, uh, you know, the title, It's Not Banter, It's Racism. Yeah. That when we go on to the independent report, their term, the word, me being called the P word, as banter. So this is a top K- KC in the country. Easy to say when you're not on the receiving end. S- but this is... Sorry, I'm just getting goosebumps right now because we had this conversation outside... I'm from Rochdale, which has a massive, massive Pakistani population. And me as a kid was institutionalized to believe that it was banter in the environment that I was in because we were exposed to it every single day. We mentioned it was like, oh, go to the pea shop or go here. Like, it was common language that was just thrown around completely blasé without understanding like the ramifications or the actual meaning behind it. And this was from like the age of like five onwards. Okay, get that. But did you ever turn around to them and say, you know what, that's not cool. Can no. you not say that to me? No, and, that, uh, and okay. that, that's, that's, my, that's my point about it. So, you know, these lads went into that dressing room as 15-year-olds mm. and they're seeing these people use that word and it never, someone, no one ever saying, including myself or other people of colour, this is not acceptable. This did anyone stop. believe it was not acceptable? And that's where, you know, so, but it's the responsibility of the leadership and yeah. also sporting environments... And this is not just cricket. A lot of sports are still living in the 80s because what you have in sporting environments is very much a job for the boys sort of uh, system circle. So Mm. the bloke who was the director of cricket in 2020 when I spoke out started his career in the late 80s in that Mm. dressing room, then became through the 90s a player, senior player, captain, Mm. coach, and then a little bit. So he's only lived that bubble and what was acceptable and normal in the when he first started he still felt was acceptable and normal in 2020 so i think a lot of it comes from embedded culture yeah. mm. and i think where yorkshire like you know the northern that the one thing i found more surprising was when i actually spoke out we went online there was so much of this that had in the public domain with yorkshire county cricket club whether that be fan abuse over the years of international players whether that be Imran Khan talking about it in 99, yeah. whether that be a local MP talking about it in 2003. And throughout all of this, what happens is whenever someone speaks out in any way, there's three ways the institution or the system goes. Tries to first discredit them and yeah. attack them. Second, try and use their power to scare them. If that doesn't work, then try and pay them or get them involved in the system. 
And they tried all of these aspects with me. But see, this is what doesn't make sense. Sorry to cut you off. Because it's all well and good to say, oh, it's the bubble that they grew up in and blah, blah, blah. This is, you know, that's, sorry, no offense, but that's a bullshit excuse. Because at the end of the day, it is now, but back then it But listen to what he's saying. He's saying that when anyone spoke out, the first thing they did was try and silence them. So if he didn't think anything was wrong, why would you silence people? Why would you silence them? Sorry, I'm getting really angry about this. And and that's, and this is the thing. It's, it's, it's things that, you know, you look at and you think, why have things not got better? Mm. You know, and. I think society in the UK, at the, you know, over the last sort of six, seven years, there's been a very much this, um, you know, trying to uh, go around the issue. Uh, and, you know, and it's happening in cricket right now. You know, three years on, dominating headlines, dominate, seeing people suffer, you'd think that there'd be a bit more of an understanding and a will to understand before going to solutions. They're not living outside of the world. Mm. And also what happens is a lot of these issues is people don't actually understand the problem before they jump onto the solutions. And, you know, at the minute I'm seeing a lot of, right, the quickest PR fad initiatives that can be found to cover it up. Now, the biggest, my, and I would, for any of them, I'm sure they'll be listening whenever (laughs) this comes out, is this will backfire way bigger, way bigger than, you know, over what the last three years has brought, Mm. brought if it's not dealt with in the correct manner. Well, of course, because you're not trying to really fix the problem. You're just trying to pretend the problem never band-aid. happened yeah. or it's just to cover it or just try to create a perception that it no longer exists, well, but it yeah. still exists. But it's, the it's fundamental challenges said. have not been fixed. But it's what you just said, PR. Yeah. yeah. I want to go back slightly because you yes. talked about the the intimidation and you talked about like the, the ways that people try to, I guess, coerce or manipulate or change that narrative what happened to you because many things like you you mentioned death threats earlier and that was one of the key things which i heard when when i think we need to go one step further back because you said you cried to your teammates yeah what happened after that and when did it get to the point where you decided it's time I spoke out? Give us that journey. Yeah. Well, you might have to extend this by 45 <laughs> We will do. It's, we will it's do. It's an important topic. I mean, that. so that's 2012, right? We go into 2013 and I, you know, I 2013 was the first time where I nearly committed suicide. You know, I found myself at the other side of my balcony, like, and I don't even know how I pulled myself back, but I did. And, you know. What took you there? It was a buildup of all of this, you know, one, losing myself, you know, the guilt of, you know, actually losing not my religion and my values for cricket, uh, but also, you know, after doing all that, still feeling like I was just not welcomed and isolated in that environment. And, you know, I, and then I had an injury uh, and suddenly uh, I found myself in that situation. But, you know, my religion and my family and what it would do to, you know only a few years earlier my cousin had committed suicide so I knew what that what it would do to and you know I pulled myself back from that I started taking antidepressants and, and I found the next sort of year and a half really really challenging uh I didn't know whether I was and you know as South Asian and you were as well. still playing every day yeah and also what you have is we in we live two different lives so mm. we live the life at home and then when we get out because a lot of the British culture and society and workplaces so heavily revolved around socializing and alcohol yeah. that you just uh, you just felt like, you know, if you weren't part of that, that you just weren't going to progress. Oh, I remember when I, when I worked in the UK, I literally got pulled aside and got told, you're not drinking enough. Wow. Yeah. I was, I was not included 
because I was being too professional. Yeah. Interesting. And it, well, it's very interesting you say that and that, you know, there's this thing of, so I compare it to some other places in the world and when you trying to be prof- like actually work hard and be the best at your job, it was seen as, oh, you know, it's not part, you know, not, oh, I got not, part, not part of the team. Yeah. Not part of the team. I, 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 like, I literally got ostracized the, for a little while. Trying yeah. to be the, like, I remember my coach is saying, you're trying too hard, you're working too hard. And I'm like, hold what on the- a minute. Like, and you're, I've heard it with other players. <laughs> you know, I've heard it with other players. There was a young, yeah. young guy, you know, made his England debut uh, at a very young age, performed immensely, Hasiba Mead, performed immensely on an Indian tour, just incredible, right? And then he came back to Lancashire and he struggled a little bit. And there was, and his, you know, his father was super connect, you know, they were, you know, they had a really, and that's, that comes a little bit from our culture as well. You know, he'd be batting all day, everything, training, yeah. training, training. And I'm hearing whispers about him being told, oh, you know, you're working too hard. You know, we need to separate you from your dad or, you know, just come out with us, have a drink. And it's like, hold on a minute. So, you know, he's struggling and he wants to work harder and you're telling him not to work hard. Mm. You're not realizing the cultural aspects of his connection with his father. You know, his father's put all his life into it. And then you're saying, oh, come, in, come out and socialize and have a drink. And it's like, hold on a minute. Yeah. What, what it's is... It's like, why don't you step up instead? You know, but what, what is that? How is that a solution to someone's... Mm. Drug? So that, that just came to me because of what you said. Mm. So 2014, I, I left Yorkshire. I'm going to ask you a question if it's okay. What made you step back from the ledge? What it would do to my dad, uh, what it would do to my family and my religion. You know, uh, that in the end, I was, you know, I was, That's what strong, kept you. You know, I was strong. Well, you know, my strong faith and my uh, family uh, sort of love it was brought. So brought, who you, you know. really were yeah, was my, what, kept, what held myself, you back. You found- I found myself on that crossover. But, you know, over the next sort of phases of my life, I didn't really you know, I was I didn't really go like I was still sort of fighting. It was there's a lot of and in twenty fourteen I left the club, you know, I had a year and a half out, I got married, uh, you know, and I sort of found myself back. And then sort of start of twenty sixteen, I was starting to love cricket again, uh, and you know, performing really well. Um Yorkshire had um their player played for uh, selected for England, so there was a space. I got asked to, you know, come and have a session. I did, you know. I hadn't lost the ability, you know, I, I was captain in the club. So straight away I was back in the team and that first few months was really nice. It was beautiful. The guy who was a captain of the one day team was a friend. You know, the coach was an Australian Aboriginal background and, you know, I, there was some warmth with him and re- so it was really fun, you know, performed immensely. Again, I was on, you know, back really where it left. And then the coach left. They got rid of the captain and the two guys that came in were just, um, you know, just as toxic as they come. And they just, everything just went. Why'd they get rid of them? Well, the coach was going moving back to Australia and the captain they wanted to get rid of because they didn't like him. And, you know, obviously that's his experience for him to talk about. I don't want to talk about someone else. So, you know, they had, so these two guys came in and then it just felt like deja vu all over again. The so feel- history was repeating itself yeah, again. Yeah, the feelings came back. And honestly, this time it was like, so the first time a lot was happening, but I was oblivious to it. And as I think back, this is what was happening. This time it was like happening and I could feel it as it was happening. A lot more and awareness. See it, the awareness was there. And, you know, never, ever felt as unwelcomed and different 
then through that period. And then initially, in middle of 2017, I reported, uh, reported uh, one of the guys as bullying. Because, again, you know, you don't want to mention that racism. Word. Yeah, because that word, when the minute you mention that word, it's like, but the guy who I sort of said the bullying about was brother-in-law to the coach. There was a massive clique. Uh, and, you know, initially they sort of spoke to me and I thought, you know, let's just let it go. Let's just move on, you know. And it, I wasn't the only person who reported it. Several players did. But I then faced the backlash of that. Why? Um, I was the only person who wasn't white out of the ones who reported it. And I'm, I'm very clear in that, you know, one of the guys who reported it stronger than me, I've got like messages with him, him saying, oh, you know, they're not doing anything to me. In that, through the end of 2017, we were at uh, an awards dinner and one of the board members himself came up to me and uh, another South Asian player and said, oh, I've been hearing this stuff about, you know, the coach, the captain, about being racist. And we was like, you know, yeah, but we're like, we don't want to do anything about it right now because, again, we wanted things to just get better. That was it, really, from there onwards, you know, and then my wife's pregnancy came. Through that time, the club was horrible, inhuman. Uh, In what way horrible? You know, I was leaving genuinely the first time we knew there was a problem. I was at a training session and, you know, I got a phone call that they can't find a heartbeat. And you said that's a problem with your wife's pregnancy? Yeah. You know, I ran home. In that day we found it. And then through that time, we had, you know, it was irregular heartbeat. We were visiting the hospital. And the, the coach and the director, they, they just didn't understand it. They just didn't want to didn't understand. Didn't understand or, or don't didn't care. care. Did, well, I guess I'm... Like, how can you, how can you not well, understand? Just yeah. didn't, it was very blase about it all. And I remember I didn't want to go on the preseason tour because it was getting to the business end of the pregnancy. And I was like, I needed to be there with my wife. And, you know, on the day that they were going, the coach was so blase. Oh, she'd be fine. Like, you know, he had no clue about what was happening. Was he a father? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that, that in itself was like, but you know, when you, when professional sports people and a lot of the leaders, they're not fit to do their job, they end up getting so pressurized by the job that they lose all human elements of themselves. Yeah. So, you know, it was so blase about the whole thing. And then, you know, a few weeks on and, uh, and I, I genuinely, they made me feel like I was actually making it up or exaggerating what we were going through. And then, you know, 38 week, um, yeah, we lost our son. Um, you know, I, I carried my son from the hospital to the graveyard and it's something that, you know, I still struggle. And I was telling you guys earlier yeah. in a podcast yesterday and, you know, probably the first time I've spoken uh, since the select committee is the first time I've spoken deeply through what that, what that was like for me. And, you know, it may was five years to the day, you know, so it was, you know, five years recently. So it's so raw and but it was the way my workplace. There was no support. And these support. people treated me around that is probably what forced me to speak out in the end. And one of the reasons I wanted is I wanted some answers of how and what they were thinking to. You know, I had just gone through, you know, something I wouldn't Was anyone, anyone there for you Most then? traumatic experience ever. One person. One player. The guy who was captain when I first joined, Alex Lee's one player. He came, you know, he came, uh, he went, when I carried my son from hospital to the graveyard, he came with me and then he came to our house. So you literally carried? Yeah. Out of the hospital? Yeah, I mean, the, the same basket that I was going to carry him home to his nursery and I carried him to home, see my, you know, my grandma and everyone and then to the graveyard. So, sorry. Um, Don't apologise. You know, that... That day is something that I wouldn't, it never goes, you know, it just never goes. And 
But then to be, I think it's left a huge hole for me because what I had to face from that is, you know, we could hate each other, never get on in our lives. And something like that would just be like, you know, I've always been brought up. My dad's always brought me up in a way where, you know, there are some things that are more important than anything else. And that's around death, marriage, yeah. you know, baby. Humanity. Born, human elements. <laughs> yeah. Everything else just goes out the window. And, you know, and this is what even sat here today and through when we go onto the press and, you know, the way I was attacked, you know, when they're defending that side, this is what they're defending. Yeah. You know, this is what they're defending. And, you know, if that sits well with you, then that's fine. If 10 years time you can look back and I just hope that you never learn the hard way mm. of what as a human being I have gone through over this last five years and how, how I've had to pick myself up, put my life together, keep myself alive, yeah. you know, keep my wife sane and that what that woman has gone through over the yeah. last five years. You know, I, I just, you know, I struck up. I don't even know really what she's going through and i still see the scars of that in our life in our everyday life and that's the real real tough bit and i guess what we're going to go on to now yeah. is that's where i have gathered my strength from he's my strength wow whoa yeah the um, saddest thing there is the bit where it shows how this institution has destroyed so many humans. Because like he said, it takes a real special person to not feel anything in the middle of all that. And of like he said human, there, but, like, but, but what you were you saying should. was how their humanity from the institution was destroyed. Yeah. So like that's also an incredibly sad thing because it's yeah. not just one person's life that's been destroyed by an institution. Even the people who did the abuse, the toxic people, they're also incredibly broken. Yeah. Can you imagine what it's like? You don't feel anything. <laughs> I'm not on their side because of, you know, your story's far greater, but looking at all sides of it, there's so many victims here. And, yeah. and that's exactly, you know, there's a, you know, a lot has happened over the last three years, which we, as we sort of go the chronology in terms of, and I feel for people on the other side. Mm. I really do because I don't want anyone to get into the space that I've got into. And I'm, I don't doubt that, that some of them are, some of them have not, you know, have pushed it themselves. Yeah. But it's still the blame, if you want to blame someone or there's a responsibility lies solely at the hands of Yorkshire County Cricket Club, the leaders at Yorkshire County Cricket Club, the CEO, the director of cricket, the chair, that there, and that initial investigation where I sat in an eight-hour hearing and I talked to them constantly and I kept saying to them, I'm giving you examples, but you don't blame the individuals. Yeah. Look at the bigger picture. Yeah. But that word, institutional racism, was too damaging for them as a brand, as a that. business that they thought right. nobody wants to admit to that. They thought right. And with the help of the people who conducted that investigation, who, you know, largely throughout the last three years, a lot of people who have caused... They, to just get divided and divided and divided have never been held accountable are the investigation the people who ran the investigation and in the end you know individuals on that side you know if there's an acceptance and a willingness and some of with some of them there was i was the first one to say let's you know we've got mm -hmm. to help and support them but because 
you know, it was divided in such a manner that it's now got to a point where people have suffered. But also, like you said, there are victims before even I speak out because the human element's gone out of everyone just for the sake of what? For some runs, for some wickets, for Crazy. some when, when, when exactly was it? So you, you'd put in the whole bullying, then it became racism. Then what happened with your son? At what point did it go from being just you putting it into you standing up and going out and uh, publicly speaking about it and bringing up a massive case? So basically, so May 2018, lost my son. You know, my first day back, the director of cricket literally got me in a room and absolutely ripped the shreds off me. It's one of the days. So basically, just before, so the night, the final night that my son probably had his last breaths, I was taken up to play a match in Durham. Uh, I was taken up there. Bearing in mind, 2017, I was a leading wicket taker in both white ball formats for Yorkshire. Second in the country, or you know, there about second, uh, near the top in the country in uh, one format, and you know, about fourth or fifth uh, in the in the other format. Done immensely. I got taken up there, knowing full well what I was going on at home, and then they didn't play me. Now my wife had her last appointment on that day. Why didn't they play you? I still don't have that And answer. they were aware of what was happening. They knew exactly what had been what was happening at home. So they took me up there and then didn't play me. So, I mean, to say I was angry would be an understatement. Yeah. But instead of, compassion, instead of... Instead of, instead of, like, saying it, I just went quiet. Mm. I just did my 12-man duties, just went quiet, didn't say anything, didn't speak to the coach or the captain because I knew I was there was so much in there that if I could, I might You'd say like, something. Yeah? yeah. So I didn't say anything. So that was the reason. So I got into, he said, because I didn't speak to the captain of the coach and we'd had all these problems the year before with everyone else and, you know, getting left out and stuff. And then one of the other players uh, retired because, uh, because of me. And, and I was like, hold on a minute. Right? Firstly, I've just gone through this. Are you all right? Like, and, I was, and he just kept going and kept shouting. And, I just, and then I just broke down in tears and I was just like, look, I've got to go. So, you know, that, that was my first. And then from there onwards, I just knew what was happening. I knew they were going to try and use the loss of my son to make sure, I was in the last year of my contract, to make sure I don't play enough cricket to be able to, not only to be able to, for them to be in a position, they didn't want to give me a contract, but if I play and perform, they had no choice, right? Mm-hmm. So that not only did they want to stop me from playing and not be able to get my contract at Yorkshire, they tried to stop me playing and not uh, impress enough to get contract elsewhere. So they just wanted to... They wanted to screw They you. wanted to finish me, right? They wanted to finish me at that stage. So I could see it playing out, uh, but, you know, I had a bigger problem at the time. You yeah. know, I, I had... You dealing with I, I was own. dealing with my... I, yeah. you know, I was trying to support my wife, you know, and that was well, you so... You were just trying to survive. Yeah, that was so difficult. Yet at the same time, knowing full well, if I lose my contract and my career, how, how am I going to financially... Yeah, right? so much pressure so I was battling like so much. People are saying, "Don't neglect yourself," and I'm like, "How can how? I? How can I not le- neglect myself? Yeah. My wife is my priority, and I'm going to do anything and everything to, you know, support her." And then it came to a head, and I I asked for a meeting with the director of cricket, the CEO, uh, and then my agent was going to come. Did you but- speak to anyone about this? During this time, like yeah, I, I spoke to the assistant coach. Oh no, not within the no. coach, not cricket, as in family. friends, family. Anything. My, I spoke to my agent, who I thought was on my side, 
I spoke to the PCA, my Players Cricket Association Development, my personal development manager, who I thought was on my side, and a friend uh, who had been a sponsor. Um, so then I asked for this meeting. I knew my agent was going to pull out last minute because he, his, his, uh, you know, he needed work from the club. Yeah, yeah. he and cared he, more he, about he his represented, He represented some of the other players as well. So I knew he was going to pull out. I knew he had a personal situation at the time, so was respectful of it, but I knew he was going to pull out. So I rang my friend and, you know, whatever happened to me, and Allah made me ring him, that, that is the best thing I did. I rang him because I knew he would come. And also, if I was in the wrong, he'd tell me. And then we had the PCA guy who, again, I thought was on my side, but clearly he was working with them. The night before that meeting, I went and met the board member in his, in his house. I cried in his front room, like literally cried my eyes. I went through everything. He said to me, he'll support me. He'll do this. He'll do that right. for me. The minute I walked out of his house and we found out later through the subject access request, he stabbed me in the back. Did you find that happen with many people in that journey? Everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone apart from my friend. So what was it your friend did that was what well, you said? Yeah. Thank God you called him. Well, we went to this meeting. And he'd been a sponsor at the club before. He was a you know successful businessman, so they knew him, and you know he knew understand understood everything a bit more. So, and I wanted someone away from me to see and tell me. And he saw their behaviour in that meeting. That meeting was like, and again, going through it, I was in tears. I'm an emotional person, but I mean, imagine at the time, I was how raw it was mm. then. And these people were just not interested. They just were not, and you know, they said, "Oh, you know, at the." least you're gonna have a white ball contract you know we don't see it as your problem blah 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 and not give me all the Sorry, stuff what's a white ball contract so instead of so there's you know there's the two formats the 50 over and t20s white ball and then the longer formats red ball so got you, you know um so and then they said they'll do this they'll do that you know speak to other people suddenly i left that meeting you know they didn't do most of what they said got rid of me seven days later Essentially, everyone was conspiring against you at this point. But that, that board member rang me and he was trying to be, pretend to be my friend. He was like, oh, we can do this informal investigation, you know, and then blah, blah. But then, you know, if we do it formally, and it was this, this was the big thing. It was his way of like, because I knew I wasn't perfect, right? It was this way, you know, but everyone's, everything will come out in the open and stuff like that. So he, I said, look, I don't care about that bit, but I want to do it informally because... I want everyone to learn from this yeah. and be better. Um, so I went to Pakistan. They sort of thought, you know what, leave him. And, you know, like I tried to rebuild my life. They carried on their merry way. They thought, you know, we've got away with it. Perfect. And you were trying to rebuild your life back in Pakistan at this point? or Yeah, I, just picked, in I gave my flat keys to my dad and said, I'm done. Okay. I, I lost all faith in humanity at this point. Yeah. You know, I've, People, you know, even my agent, you know, who... The people who were closest to you people, at that time. you know, who knew who me. should have looked after I, you. you know, he messaged me. When I spoke out publicly, he messaged me. I was saying, oh, you, I wish you'd have told me. I've got, I've got WhatsApp messages to him in January uh, that year saying, man, I'm going to commit suicide. Man, I feel like I'm going to be, you know, because I had my second incident uh, of, you know, nearly doing it in 2018. And, you know, before the loss of my son, actually, the loss of my son gave me so much strength. Yeah. It's actually brought me, it's made me the human being I am today. It, it gave you something me, to fight for. Yeah, but he brought me closer to my religion. Mm. He, he gave me me back. Mm. The me that I'd lost through that time, I got back fully, properly then. Yeah. Um, it's so tragic that it, that had to happen. To, yeah, but you know, our religion, happen. our religion teaches us, you know, if you have a baby lost, you're 
you know, your child's going to, on the day of judgment, is going to fight with Allah, hold your hand and take you to heaven. Wow. And that's what, powerful. that's what, that's so powerful. And that's what got us through, yeah. you know, because we were losing, every, yeah. losing our marbles, really. So throughout this whole process, everyone's trying to discredit you. Because I want to go back to the question which I was going to say earlier. Um, you were being attacked from everybody once you spoke out. What was that like and what happened? I mean, firstly, we so from this stage, this is 2018, yeah. I go away. And then 2019, you know, come back, we have a boy, you know, um, <laughs> and, you know, I were very healthy. Second pregnancy was difficult, but we have a boy. Uh, and What's then, his name? Ayan. Beautiful name. So, you know, and then um, I'm starting to put my life together, you know, starting to mentally get out <clears> there. I got myself super fit. I was telling you how yep. fit I got. I was going to go back to play cricket, you know, start of 2020. I was going to go get myself back in there and then... Why? So, um, yeah, it was like, why would you want not, to pick yourself not, back in that not, place again? Uh, not at Yorkshire, but I wanted, yeah. you know, firstly, it was all I knew, mm. right? I was, I haven't said this a lot, but, you know, I was pretty freaking good at it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I wanted to, I, I didn't want my last connection with cricket to be the loss of my son. Yeah. Fair. So that was my biggest thing is I didn't want that last connection of cricket to be that memory. And you know, also, that was my way to put food on the table. So yeah. uh, that's what I want. So I got myself really fit. I was going to go trial and get myself. And then COVID happened. The world shut down. Reflection time for everyone. Um, you know, we as a family started taking food for the NHS, locally, any key workers, just, you know, because a lot of friends just work there, chocolates, fruits. Then we started as a family cooking meals uh, and then selling them and raising money for the hospice and taking more for key workers, nurses, doctors, yeah. you know, police, across the board. So that gave me a lot, of, that gave us a lot of purpose. You know, obviously Black Lives Matter happened, George Floyd. And I think it was a real time of reflection for a lot of people of color. How do you feel when you saw that footage? <sighs> um, you know, still today. I mean, but you look at it now and you, the whole hoo-ha around it and every everyone doing all the corporate stuff around it and you look at it and you look think things have really moved on have they have they really but in terms of how it made you feel it you know really yeah i mean, I mean it's, it's still happening day in day out in, it, in certain parts of the world it's, and it, it's not really changed it's not and that's the thing you know as i've still you know over the last few years i've still seen because now i'm sort of more aware as well you see more and more of it the thing that killed me was um how easily people watched it. It was shared. That was so I couldn't look at it. We're so desensitized to these things now. I, I couldn't look at it. But that yeah. that was what I was gonna to come to. The biggest thing with it was the bystanders. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And okay, the person who videoed it and stuff for it, it went do out. something. Freaking someone do something. Help. Someone do something. There's a bloke there dying. dying. Someone do something. You know, and obviously that's the physical element of it. that's how I felt that I'm dying. Someone help me. Help me. And Someone help just me. Stood by. And everyone just goes, oh, I'll just look after myself. You know, I'll just look after myself. And so that, you know, it happened. And then Yorkshire, uh, the director of cricket did a nice little PR interview with the local press, um, how he'd never been in a dressing room that had, had racism, blah, blah, blah. I'm thinking. Which is completely fictitious. I was like, hold on a minute. I sat in your office two years ago telling you all of this. That really irritated me. Mm. Um, and then I, we took the charity on to opening a business, uh, you know, food place, tea, tea place, Asian tea place. And I had an interview um, around... So you've set up the business here? No, in, uh, in Yorkshire and I, in 2020. And I had an 
you know, I had an interview around that, you know, how transitioning from cricket into business. I got asked a question. I got emotional. I said a little bit, but I didn't say a lot. At that point, I thought, they'll ring. We'll get in a room, have a conversation. We'll work out a way to make things better. Yorkshire initially ignored it. Then the board, that board director got in touch. I was like, are you getting in touch with me as a friend or are you getting in touch with me? Because at this point, I, th- I see him as a friend. Uh, or are you getting official capacity? Because what I don't want is you go to the press and say, oh, we've been in regular contact. Mm. He gave me all the nicey-nicey. Hour later, journalist says to me, the chief executive just said, oh, that um, our inclusivity and diversity board member has been in regular contact with him. <sighs> what was it you said in the initial article like, triggered this the initial article i said that i had uh you know i shared a dressing room with an openly racist captain uh i said you know i had you know i'd looked the other way for um and i've things that have happened and i looked the other way and i wish i'd said something and i talked about one incident that um you know that happened with a senior player and you know that uh, racism is rife so this article was about you transitioning from cricket to business yeah. and the journalist asked you what was it like i mean he just asked me a question about what did i ever face a prejudice and you know he talked to me about uh, another teammate a south asian teammate and my relationship with him and i just got emotional and i you couldn't were, you're lie. being honest because you, you couldn't you'd, lie you'd experience I, you weren't being this. emotional you were steady yeah. but at no at no point then you thought this would blow up into anything or there was an agenda behind it or that at that point genuinely uh, if you were to say to me that I would have death threats and my family would be attacked and I'd leave the country, I'd be laughing at you. Yeah. If you'd have said to me I'd be sat in front of uh, a select committee in Parliament, it being aired live all over the world, I would be like, what? Yeah. Um, to be honest, getting them to the independent investigation was like literally they were pushed, shoving, you know, screaming into that. Um, so at no point I thought it would blow up into that. And then it escalated rapidly. But this is this at this point, right? So then it escalated a little bit. It had a little like of a burst, but it was cricket press, a little bit of sport yeah. press, so but it was it wasn't the, picked up the, by national press. Yeah, well, when that journal got in contact with you an hour later, saying, "Right, so we've just heard this," what was your response? Uh, this was so. This was a different journalist. Okay. Um, this was when I opened up okay. a bit more. I talked about coming close to coming to suicide. I opened up a bit more. And this is the journalist, George DeBell, who was at the Cricket Info at the time. He did the Cricketer at the time, who was literally him. And actually, I missed one. So between the article and the journalist, I did a podcast with uh, a guy who, um, who used to be a Yorkshire media manager. Uh, and, you know, we, we had a relationship, but we, 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 you know, we hadn't spoken to each other for a long time. And that's where I opened up a little bit more. And Yorkshire's response was, oh, he's not mentioned Yorkshire. And I was like, let me make it very clear. It was, you know, I'm yeah. talking about it's Yorkshire, <laughs> right? But he was brilliant because what he did is he then said, you know, this is not reaching where it should. Mm. And, you know, I've only got this reach. He went to George DeBell, who's a senior correspondent at Crick Info, ESPN Crick Info, a massive international platform, you know. Uh, so he went to him and George went back to him and said, look, um, I'm busy. I'll, and he was like, uh, I'll listen to it in between test matches and get back to you. He listened to it. And then when he got involved and did that piece on Crick Info, it just went like that. Question. When, after the podcast, when it's like, there's not enough reach, I'm going to put you in touch with someone that's got greater reach. And it's like light. It's like breathing. All of a sudden you're seen. 
how how was that moment for you, having gone through being ignored and you don't exist and all of that, to having such a different experience? That phase of having James Butler from the Cricket Badger podcast and the support that he has given me, I mean, we have spoken from there onwards three, four times a day. It, there was a phase in the next phase where I... I handed him, I gave him my phone passcodes and everything. I just became so sort of struggling. But he's been my rock, like he's been a rock. And to have someone who, and, and also the, the interesting bit in this conversation is, where, this is where the solutions become a problem is, I got supported by two middle-aged white men. Hmm. The very demographic that gets absolutely thrashed in this, right? In this subject. Mm, yeah. And supported, and I'm talking like, they put their neck on the line. They have suffered work-wise, James Butler, and then George. George has had to have fences put at his house. He's had to have, you know, he's lost work. He's lost friends. He currently feels like the gay, he's lost his home in cricket. And this is one of the most senior journalists in the country. He was chair of the Cricket Writers Club, right? And only recently stepped down. And, I, you know, I know that a lot is, is because he's backed me. Yeah. Because he has sat on the side of anti-racist against a racist and even his own colleagues have ostracized him you know people who have who he has spent the most of his time with so you know so i spoke to him and he did that piece it all escalated for a bit and then everyone just went you know into there but then through that 18 months before through that sort of 12 14 months before it got to the select committee and this is where you know there's been a lot of negative spoken about i am so fortunate I am so lucky. I've had the most amazing professional support that anyone could ask for. I've had Jennifer Robinson from Doughty Street Chambers, who represented Julian Assange, represented Amber Heard in the UK, represent me pro bono. Wow. And she's, you know, she's become a friend. She's become a rock. Paris Gracia, Doughty Street. I had, you know, uh, Mark Lefley from PowerScot PR represent me for three years pro bono. You know, I've had the most. And then, when we go further, I've had Mish Kondorea, who are a massive silver circle law firm in London, who have represented me for two years, pro bono. I mean, and, and I've not had like, oh, it's pro bono. I've had 24-7 support. I've had the most incredible support from these people. And if it wasn't for these allies, George, James, if it wasn't for these, one, I wouldn't have been heard in the way I have. But yeah. secondly... You know, I won't be at a stage where I can now sit here, you know, in a better space mentally mm. and be like, you know what, I'm going to use my platform. For because your faith in humanity now. With these people, honestly, it has restored it. And also, you know, since coming here to Dubai, and I know I've jumped a lot here, yeah. but it started to restore me so much. The love, the warmth, uh, and, you know, how people have wanted to help each other. And also, you know, over the last 12 months, amongst all the rubbish that I've had to deal with, you know, I've been given a platform, you know, I spoke at a Google event and this was surreal. I was walking to a breakfast and I'm watching this guy walk towards me, entourage around him, like, oh, I recognize him, walk past him, get backstage and it's Gordon Brown, you know, mm. and I'm sharing a stage, you know, with him. So outside of cricket, I've had the most immense support. You know, I've got a book coming out, uh, a documentary. So... And all of these platforms, you know, I've spoken at some big, big, you know, organizations, but it's what we do next. But mm. it, in from a human element, it's been therapeutic. It's been like, you know, it's got easier. And, you know, today I might have got close a couple of times, you know, when I first, you know, you, I would be 
in tears. I couldn't even get my words out. So I'm getting, you know, on a human level, I'm getting to a space where I'm, you know, starting to send. I don't think you're ever going to get like full closure in any way, but I want to now turn the whole thing into the biggest positive in the world and use my platform that I've been given to one, create opportunities for people in cricket, support people who go through grief and child loss, especially fathers, because, you know, I remember... There's not enough. I remember uh, the doctor saying to me, oh, it's her, her kid, and, you know, I, that sits with me. Yeah, it's not. Um, and then, you know, mental health um, yeah. and the stigma around South Asia mental health, um, but just mental health as a whole, because, you know, I, I've been in some dark places, but, yeah. you know, people ask me, why do you... Put your, keep putting yourself through sharing it. And I just feel like I've gone past that stage of really breaking through a certain point mm. on these subjects. And if I can help one person, I'll just be, you know, it, I remember one guy came up to me, a uh, disabled guy on his wheelchair and said, you've changed my everyday working life. Before I used to go in ask for funding and it'd be like, oh, now it's like how much? And you know, that's something I can go to my grave with genuinely. Yeah. And that, I wake up every day now with an absolute passion to use what's been handed to me in a responsible manner yeah. and impact others. And, but at the same time, as a 32-year-old, I just want to have a lot of fun along the way doing it. I know I jumped like the thing completely is, like, no. Selfishly, I'm sort of uh, glad that your dad and you didn't communicate that well when you were younger because had you communicated, you would have left the UK and yeah. you wouldn't be making the difference you're making today. A different life journey for sure. And you know, I wouldn't genuinely, wouldn't I wouldn't change, change, change You know, People yeah. ask me, would you, you know, so going like the speaking out, the select committee, my world changing, the way it's been attacked, you know, my business being attacked, mm. social media. Because you, you were physically attacked, verbally attacked. Yeah, you know, feeling, all and sorts. also, also, there's this, psychological safety yeah and i'm driving at times through the last year and a half and i'm like i feel like someone sat next to me mm. i'm having a conversation with someone i'm like they're recording me i was back in the uk a couple few weeks ago and i was uh, you know i took my wife shopping and this bloke starts filming me recording me and that makes you so Big paranoid and yeah. so and it you know it feels you makes you feel so vulnerable yeah uh, and you know i'm watching a bit of the prince harry stuff and whatever you sit on wherever and i i can see it it resonates you know and also you've experienced it firsthand yeah, when you're living this right honestly sometimes when i even tell people i think they must think that uh you know i'm living in some la la land but when i've been living it through this last three years i've been thinking am i living in a film here is this really happening you know place i've called home you know, people I've shared restrooms with us going on Twitter and abusing the hell out of me and my family. What is going on? And then fake accounts. And then you start thinking, where is it coming from? And then leaks, you know, your personal life. And you think, who is doing it? And you start, you know, living in this continuous circle of what is going on. And you're trying to fight these battles. Like, who are you fighting? You don't even know. I don't even know who's on my side or who I'm fighting yeah. throughout this, Is apart a, from the select few who are close to me. You know, I've sat in rooms with leadership right now recently and I know full well they're talking shit. <laughs> I am sat there. The thing that hurt or is a big problem for them is one, I can't be bought. You know, at different mm. stages I've been saying, oh, you know, we'll look after you, we'll get you this, we'll get you that. One, I, my morals and values won't be bought. And second, I'm not stupid. So I was sat in, I'm sat in rooms and I know for a while they're talking absolute crap to me. You know, yeah. I know they're talking because I know what's happening behind the scenes. 
But I'm just thinking to myself, God, you know, you, the, the world that you must live in, that you can sit there. And unfortunately, I think we found our society and sports and just struggle to handle abuse and, you know, uh, tough subjects like this that have been happening because it's like, oh, yeah, but we're going to lose brand sponsorship and all that stuff. But, you know, going back to, I absolutely, if I, if I did it, you know, had it again, I would do it all over again. You know, and every time because ultimately there comes a moment in your life where you realize life is worth than just past your own nose. And I need, you know, I, you've got to look past your own nose and it's got to be bigger than just you. And that actually gives me a buzz. You know, it yeah. gives me a real, real buzz. So, you know, when I've been attacked the way I have, it was, you know, tough, really tough. But the one thing I knew is they couldn't take me close to what it was like carrying my son from hospital to yeah. rehab. And to make, you know, this is his legacy and I wanted to make him proud um, and do some, you know, my memory of, you know, that not to be left as my director of cricket shouting at me to be left as actually, yeah. you know, Alian, Rafiq and the power that that gave me has been able to create so many uh, good times for other people yeah. and you know that's that's uh, something I'm so passionate and uh, energetic towards I think that's an incredibly we gotta, we gotta poignant right now. and powerful <laughs> yeah. ending you, you, there's nowhere else to go from here yeah thank you so much for being so honest and raw and sharing that story um, yeah it was Speechless. yeah well, no, thank you, thank thanks, you. No, thanks for having me. And yeah, sorry, sorry, I made you cry. <laughs> no, we, it was we, a that. good thing. We've had some very emotional episodes. I think this is definitely uh, uh, we, probably we, the most we, emotional. I think we need to close it off. Yeah, yeah. it helps. You know, for, thank you from my point of view because it genuinely, every time I speak about it, it, it really, really helps me. Yeah, it really on Makes a human it, level, it it's it heals so, a little bit. It's so therapeutic and it's therapy, you know, with you know with people, and it's yeah. just uh, it, you know, and I'd you know if anyone can leave the episode listening that just yeah i'd encourage anyone to reach out speak yeah. reach out and you know my if anyone wants to reach out the one thing i'd say is through that time there was a time where i felt like you know i was on my own i was reaching to people and i wasn't getting the help the one thing if anyone else if they find themselves in that situation they'll have one more one more person supporting them than that i had and you know, reach out to me. I'm available to anyone that is struggling in any way, whether it's through this or, you know, I've over the last few years learned a hell of a lot in how to cope with some of this. Uh, and, you know, if I can help anyone, um, just reach out. We'll put your contact details on socials. Yeah. But yeah, Azim, thank you again so much for joining us today and for, for sharing that. And if it's all right, we'd like to get you back at some yes. point to uh, give us some updates. For yeah, sure. absolutely. Hopefully, I can come back and tell you about all the good stuff. Hundred percent. You recently called Dubai home now, so yeah. So it's we. I think we run out of time, but it'd be good to understand the next yeah. part of that journey because so there, it's there, to be there, continued. Be, this is a T-bird to be continued sure. episode. Definitely. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Rooted Within. If you like this episode, please make sure you drop a follow so you never miss an episode in the future. Rooted Within with Lily and Dan.